Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to State of the Empire, Consequence of Sound's Star Wars speculation podcast where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hey, I'm Matt. And this episode, we're going to be talking about all the latest news trickling out of the impending release of Solo, including some big surprises. And we're going to trace some fascinating connections back to early scripts of Star Wars that have been influencing all the most recent Star Wars films, like literally all of them that have come out so far. Because truly, in the Lucasfilm empire under the Disney reign, absolutely nothing goes to waste. And if it was designed or if it was written, somehow it's going to get used. We're also going to be talking a little bit about the forthcoming Star Wars Galaxy's Edge theme park. And yes, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Rebels. But uh, don't worry, all of our spoilers are going to be tucked safely behind our spoiler-proof blast doors at the end of the episode. So when last we gathered to talk specifically about solo ew was still in the midst of publishing a series of articles and after that episode a few more were released and that's been where the bulk of official information so far has come from but there's plenty to speculate on to that end most interestingly was a list of influences that lawrence and his son john kazdan uh, had for writing this han solo script notably treasure island which is, I think, the one that they keep coming back to when they're mentioning things because it is about the pirate Long John Silver and his relationship with young Jim. And that is Han Solo and Beckett's relationship, Beckett being Tobias Beckett, Woody Harrelson's character in Han Solo. When we see this in this article published by Entertainment Weekly, we see this happen again and again and again. There's all these nods to these vaguely criminal mentorship things. Michael Mann's 1995 film Heat, They said the relationship between Val Kilmer and Robert De Niro's character was important, this older, wiser criminal and someone who's learning the ropes from them. Um, They said they wanted that flavor and swagger, that no one is reliable. There's a chance of betrayal. Um, And what happens when you take a a street smart but very innocent young man and figure out uh, how you can start him on a journey to being the character who walks into the cantina? It disappoints me a little bit to, to identify very innocent up front. I, I like. I've always liked the idea that that's sort of ingrained in Han. I, I, well, I mean, I guess I like the idea that things are ingrained in people, period, and characters. But I, I don't like the blank slate concept, and then making him fully into that. He he was always the kind of guy where he doesn't let himself get attached to anything that he's not willing to walk out in thirty seconds if it feels the Empire around the corner. Right. I mean, granted, though, we do see him and and Kira living on. Well, not the st- living on the streets, but like being street rats of a kind. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're being too severe. But then again, these are the people who wrote the movie. They yeah. shouldn't be putting any weird spin on it. Um, also in the list was Unforgiven. Um, 
again for this relationship of like this in this case guns like uh gunslinger apprentices uh kind of thing um they made a point of saying that <laughs> unforgiven is much darker than solo is um yeah and the character of william money and long john silver are in no way compatible <laughs> like they're two totally different things so i don't know what <laughs> i don't you know like long john silver and jim hawkins oh i understand what you're saying and also like william money and the schofield kid from unforgiven I, you lost me like i that they are nowhere near like well it, it also just makes me wonder if, if all they see is like criminal apprenticeships of different types and they're just like oh we want that you know sure, without yeah. actually thinking about what each relationship necessarily means gonna keep name dropping criminal relationships until we pick one you like <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> the other two films in this are perhaps some of the stranger picks gangster number one which is a i never heard of before but it's a 2000 british drama um that stars paul bettany and paul bettany is a cast member of this film now in the ron howard era of this film uh, he plays a character named Dryden Voss, who was originally played by Michael K. Williams when Lord and Miller filmed this movie, but Michael K. Williams could not come back for the role, so he was replaced entirely by Paul Bettany. And Man, So this is like with uh, Forrest Whitaker's hair, except instead of hair, it's a whole person this time. <laughs> uh, Lies! Deceptions! <laughs> no, that's all true. All of it. <laughs> what will this movie become? <laughs> Yeah, so so apparently, apparently this the character that uh, Dryden Voss that uh, Bettany plays is was one hundred percent modeled after his character in Gangster Number One. Bettany had already worked with Ron Howard, so they just pulled in the guy who inspired the character. <laughs> this is so weird. <laughs> this is like I don't even know what to think about that. <laughs> and then the one that's been getting all the headlines, they say the Big Lebowski was a vi- was a huge influence on this film. That I, I, I whatever just name the movies till you like it name the movies you know they said solo has the flavor of a crime world that has weirdness and surprise and people stumbling into things and other people very in, intentionally getting into trouble big lebowski is a great example because solo has a more off-kilter tone than you've ever seen in star wars if, if anybody was pitching me a movie that was like okay i'm doing a crime movie and uh it's gonna be a mixture of big lebowski i'd be like okay and Unforgiven. I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, but you'd be intrigued. Well, <laughs> that entire article, like, when you look at the movies, it kind of screams, you know, sort of like uh, just out of film school. Like, yeah. you know, like, it, it's it's just like I'm grabbing some cult, some obvious cult classics that I love and just throwing them all together. I'm going to give the Kazans way more credit than that. Sure, but sure. I don't think I don't think that article necessarily inspired any sort of... And, uh, I, I would also say Optimism that I, in me. I, I, I think Ron Howard has a track record for making films that aren't wildly unstable or have crazy ass tone shifts. Right. But, but we, you know, we've talked about it on the show quite a bit. How much direction is he really giving on this movie? You know, is he well, there because Kasdan is shadow directing and like WGA rules or DGA rules prevent him from taking over the director's role once they fired the directors, which is a real thing. But then so, Ron Howard would have to direct you know, a certain percentage of the film in order for him to be considered actually directing it. So we're going to have to see what the final credit is, which I'm assuming Disney's going to make it say Ron Howard, because even if they have to yeah, pay extra fines or something. But, shit. I mean, it's not like there's a moderator you know, on set. Yeah, he was the director for a certain amount of days, but we don't know if like it was Kasdan standing right next to the director's chair and you know Ron going, sure. man, this is a great paycheck. Go ahead, Lawrence. Do your movie. 
But I mean, Ron Howard has a degree of integrity. We, I think, we can all agree. Yeah. You know, whether dude, the dude made Willow. <laughs> I exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think Kathleen Kennedy would trust him. I would trust him. And I mean, yes, there's much speculation from us that a huge factor in Lord Miller getting booted was that Larry Kasdan in the Kasdan's film. Yeah, you know the the one that they wrote, which yeah. is fine. And and I also have a lot of respect for Ron Howard. Actually, some of his movies that haven't been as successfully reviewed actually some of them are some of my favorites but like i just i'm just saying that saying that this movie can't be unstable because ron howard's directing it i don't think because of the situation that this movie's in i don't think you can count on that this movie could be really unstable directionally not in like unstable as in it's bad but unstable as in like it could be a really really wacky movie because right And I'm not trying to suggest that, like, I think, oh, the movie's guaranteed to be stable now so much as Ron Howard's not known for making unstable, crazy, you know, tone shifting films. But what did he inherit? You know, like what what footage did he get that he says, oh, crap, we're gonna have to reshoot or we're gonna have to just cut around or whatever. Obviously, that remains to be seen. Well, to that point, there was an EW article that's something probably worth reading. We'll link to it on this episode's page along with anything else we reference, which is an article called Ron Howard, A Star Wars Story, Why the Oscar Winner Joined Solo in Its Time of Upheaval. Hmm. And um, it's an interesting piece, and it's doubly interesting because like anything you read from Entertainment Weekly, you need to read between the lines because they're the... (laughs) Like StarWars.com will publish a series of puff pieces and announcements, but EW is where you go for things that appear to be critical analysis of new content given to them by Disney that's all been approved. So, like, whereas it's not that I disrespect anyone working for EW who is disseminating this information, but it's all clearly done with the caveat of, you know, this is it's all by under control. Yeah, this is this is by company approval. We're all fine here. We're all fine. Uh, how are you? Yeah, right. s- yeah. Your your exclusivity comes with the with you know the fact that it's all positive looking. Yeah, and when you when you talk about something negative, it'll always be spun in a way that can be damage control. Like this is this is not the Hollywood Reporter. This is this is stuff coming straight from the mouse. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of ways to read this content, but. It also is, in many cases, interesting content, and there's always fascinating little tidbits in there, and also genuine interest from the people who are creating it in Star Wars, which is, you know, an important thing to remember, that there's, there's at the end of the day, there's not really a lot of villains here, there's a lot of shades of gray, and when something goes wrong in the world of Star Wars, and by wrong, I mean, you know, the, the perpetual chaos for filmmakers who are just trying to make a good story, um, and, and people people who work, say, in the Lucasfilm Story Group, who pr- presumably, at the end of the day, just want to make a good story, and there's all these plates that they have to be spinning constantly. So we can offer up all the criticism we want, but we do this with an understanding that these folks are trying to, you know, yeah. <laughs> to do right, and we're not, like, we're not uppity Star Wars snobs. We're people who love films, and we love Star Wars films, and but the whole, the, this restriction about information, this this lack of candidness is a symptom of modern Hollywood yeah. and has always been a symptom of Hollywood, but particularly now it's quite bad. Um, and I, I like for my, uh, my star Wars to be unabashedly honest about, uh, the, the challenges, like, of the well, filmmaking like process. Pr- proud of the filmmaking process. Yeah. And this is something, of course, we've talked about many, many yeah. times, but I say that just to point you in the direction of this article, which has a lot of fascinating insight, Ron Howard talking about 
being um, the best known actor on the set of American Graffiti and and talking with with George Lucas, this quiet, unknown director and the weird things that he would tell him and and little little gleams into that really great relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, like a long working relationship, mentorship, even Um, (laughs) awkward conversations like. And I'm thinking about doing a movie with a, you know, like a space pirate kind of guy, kind of heroic and really handsome. So yeah, yeah. And I need like a young unknown actor. Yeah, yeah. Do you know anyone who could recommend me? <laughs> oh, sorry, George. I thought you were asking me. Uh, well, at this time, Ron was actively pursuing the idea of being a director mm. and wanted to go to the same school as George. Mm. So there was there was a bond there in in that nature. To that point, Doug, I assume you haven't read this article. Not yet. No. Okay, so this is, this is my favorite article that EW has ever published. It oh, is shit. so much fun to read. Yeah, um, there's a, that conversation happens, but it's about George saying, "Oh yeah, I want my next movie to be kind of like uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey." <laughs> hold on, hold on. But, but it's THX 1138. Hold on. No, no he already no, did, he already did no, that. Yeah, it's a I want okay. it. I want yeah. it to be like 2001: A Space Odyssey, but faster. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Is that not the most George Lucas thing no, you've I ever heard? It. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go home, put on 2001, and like crank it up to like you know 200x speed just to see <laughs> the music instead of it, it's just bum bum bum. But you crank that up to 200 percent. It probably sounds a little bit like John Williams, Yavin, right there. So this has uh, it has quotes from Kathleen Kennedy, Lord Miller. They're not quotes specifically for the article, and quotes from Ron Howard talking about Lord and Miller and the process of you know coming into this thing. So this is a quote from the article itself, which to my earlier point about this being like, you know, the official word from Lucasfilm through the mouthpiece of Entertainment Weekly, this line especially like made my skin crawl a little bit. This is specifically about Lord Miller. And again, the voice of the article, not Ron Howard or anybody else involved with it. Mm -hmm. What they're doing with the Han Solo film isn't satisfying Lucasfilm. And a Star Wars movie is no one's idea of a place to experiment. The specifics of the dispute come down to a they said, they said. So like I take umbrage with the idea of Star Wars is no place to experiment. Yeah. It's, it's it's literally one of the greatest experiments in all of Hollywood. Yeah. Ever. So the fact that that statement exists in here compo- compounded with multiple mentions from Kathleen Kennedy of like Lord Miller are so f- they're so funny and the movies they make are so funny downplaying the fact that we strongly believe that Lord and Miller were not making a comedy. In in that article, to play devil's advocate for a moment, that mm-hmm. that that's that statement very well could be suggesting today's Star Wars is not known for a place of experimentation because everything's been playing it you know pretty safe. Sure, like the Disney era of Star Wars well, is not for experimentation. Oh, I, yeah, I wouldn't argue. I mean, I would I would not argue that. Yeah, I wouldn't argue yeah. that either. But I, that's not exactly what was said, so I don't know. Yeah, that's not. I mean, that's not what's. This, yeah. this is this is the article telling you the the article is suggesting to you the reader. That Star Wars is no one's idea of a place to experiment. Maybe, well, yeah, maybe it isn't means, now. Maybe that means currently, but but you know, sure. But the, but does that make you happy? Do you want them to play? No, it safe? I'm not saying that. To... No, I'm not. I'm just saying it's like instead of you know, s- yeah, saying I, that Star I, I don't, Wars I don't is think never. like it's worth like you're right. I don't. I don't think it's a, you know, a statement to argue if it's true or not. It's a statement to argue whether that should be the philosophy. Yeah. 
you know, but you know, once again, it's, it is the article's voice. We have no idea. I mean, I would argue in some ways rogue one was an experiment, you know, may not have been as brave of an experiment as I think we were all kind of hoping, even though I still love that movie, but they still experimented for sure. I mean, to go outside the saga like that. I should also point out that the article's voice is Anthony Bresnikan's voice. Is that something he believes? Yes. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Hit him up on the on the tweets. <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, if someone's probably asked it by now, I hope they have. If they have, point us to it. Hmm. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy on Lord Miller, and a brand new quote for the article. I think these guys are hilarious, but they come from a background of animation and sketch comedy. And when you're making these movies, you can do that. And there's plenty of room for improvisation. We do that all the time, but it has to be inside of a highly structured process where you can't get the work done and you can't move the armies of people to anticipate and have things ready. So it literally came down to the process, just getting it done. Have either of you seen that video of Lord and Miller talking at like uh like that BAFTA talk that they did? Talking about how they how they write movies? No. There's like a twenty minute or longer talk of like them talking about the writing process and how they work together on writing a story. And this is way before they were picked to work on solo, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's kind of what made me a little skeptical when they were announced because they they go I mean they 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 go on stage and they tell you, okay, this is, uh, this is what it's like. We sit down and we start spitting out ideas. And like, granted, the writing process is very messy. And, you know, you say you, you throw everything you can and you see what sticks, you know. So I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing them at all for that. But it's just that they publicly express like how they'll have like crushing doubts, you know, and like not be sure like which way to go. And then they kind of have to just sort of improvise and find their way out of a situation. And it definitely sounds more... Uh, like indie filmmaking and not like when you have $200 million behind you in an entire major studio like Disney, I don't think they would ever be a good fit. Like, I think they could be great and do great movies on their own and do, and you know, let, letting them do what they want. They can make a great movie, but I can totally understand why a giant corporation like Disney is like, but they're unpredictable. We don't know what they're going to do next. This is a, there's a lot of money riding on this and they're very uncomfortable with it. Yeah. But that's part of the, Part of the aspect that's a shame. But that's I why they. To see. That's why they picked them. Is what they said. They're like, oh, they're so funny and they're right. so you know. Well, that, is, that that is the problem. I mean, they they did you know they, their initial slate besides J.J. Abrams were a series of, you know, younger, more indie thinking directors, and then you know, on some of them they kind of like a young George you know, Lucas, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah, um, yeah, it's. It's actually, I mean, the Jump Street movies, I think, are great. Those aren't animated. I know uh, heavily improvised. I mean, if you go back and read the 21 Jump Street script and compare it to the film, like, nothing is is from, is made, made it into that movie. But, you know, the movie was still pretty great. Um, and, of course, in and of itself, is a, the movie is basically a statement about action movies. And the, as the sequel is a statement about sequels. But... Um, it would have been interesting to see what they could do with a movie like this. Part of the sh- the unfortunate aspect of all this is that you mentioned the $200 million behind it. It's almost a bad thing that these movies require that much money these days because Disney has to think that way because that is a large amount of money to but, put in. But Matt, it's got to you know, look like a Star Wars movie. It don't look like a right. Star Wars movie unless you got that money behind it. And that's the thing is A New Hope. Did not have that Star Wars money behind it, and look what happened. Ah, but that's I mean, the that's the old crap. They they went ahead and they put another hundred million dollars in it later with the special editions, and it looks so much better now. Looks like real uh, Star Wars. All right, I can barely hear you behind that cigar. 
<laughs> so there's a lot of other quotes from Ron about the process of coming in and and how it seemed like you know the right thing to do and and a, and a problem he could solve in a year where he wasn't actually planning on making a movie and some some very nice stuff and some very good perspective that I'm sure is actually all true. Um, and actually, it also talks about how George Lucas visited the set by surprise one day. Um, Ron said he came by the uh, to visit the first day. He Ron picked up shooting with his wife Melody. They it was a, supposed to be a short visit. They ended up staying for five hours. And I mean that's that sound. And he and George offered some some advice on on a sequence. So like as as the the press has said, George Lucas kind of directed a scene in the film, which is great. <laughs> great spin. Good job, guys. That's Whatever. What, I want that old Willow team back. <laughs> that old. Got that old Willow. All right, we're gonna do this scene. The scene, and George goes, "Hey, why don't you have him uh, do that thing?" Yeah, great advice, George. Thanks. And then it's amazing. <laughs> like, you know, like, that's like when it, when it's working together at its best. In theory. In theory, yes. <laughs> and in practice, so far. But there was there was more concrete information about the actual story of the film and the characters. Um, a little bit of uh, information on Tobias Beckett. Kazan says uh, he sort of Han sort of forces himself into Beckett's life. It starts as a relationship that has enormous impact on what kind of person Han will be. I guess it being the film. Hmm. Um, the character of Val, played by Thandie Newton, there's still not a lot of information about her, but uh, John Kasdan says she's a little skeptical of Han when she meets him, and her relationship with him goes in, I think, an interesting direction. See, I, I, I was thinking, oh, wow, that's interesting. What does it work with that puzzle me? And then I had to stop myself, because every time Disney, before a movie comes out, and they're talking about these side characters, uh, you know, I mean it's easy for us to all get excited about what it could possibly mean and the mystery box of who is this person and why are they important to the story because otherwise, why is that character there? I'm just going to kind of be like, you know what? Maybe Disney doesn't think they're important and that's why they're not telling us anything. Like that's, the, the you know, like, I mean, we're grand. We're not getting a lot of information about any of the other main characters, but there's at least something. But they're like, oh, that character, eh, you don't need to know anything. Oh, no, don't tell them that. Tell them that it's, it's, there's a mystery and it's really good. Yeah, no, and I agree. And then people get hyped, they're talking about it, and then once it doesn't get delivered, there yeah. no one no one holds them accountable. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's fine. There's it's not really every, anything every, every worth holding anybody every, accountable for, but every new Star Wars movie has that Boba Fett character of this character's gonna be cool, you better watch out for that character, and then it's like, Oh, uh they, they were Yeah, they were in it. And they just cut all their scenes like poor Constable Zuvio. Yeah. I'll I'll give it up for Vesuvio. That was he didn't deserve what he got. But no. it happened. No, Phasma uh, and uh, you know we got uh, who's a little little monkey guy in Rogue One. Didn't see him at all. They were putting him in every in every clip, like every possible like promo stuff. He was in all that, but then in the movie, didn't does he even have a name? I'm sure he has a name, but I, I even remember him being mentioned in EW articles yeah. quite a few times. Not in the movie. He's in the movie. He's, he's just he's barely in, a, in the movie. He goes ah, and that's it. <laughs> they don't. He, he's in one <laughs> shot. Well, speaking of little monkey guys, John Favreau is voicing the four-armed Maz Kanata-looking alien in the Gunner turret in the Falcon. Ah, they're all starting to look. Jeez, the that same. was that was harsh on John Favreau. <laughs> no, the little character looks like. A- <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, there's uh, Paul Bettany's Dryden Voss, um, who Lucasfilm made a point of saying, similar name to Quinlan Voss, just a coincidence. We're running out of Star Wars names. I they re- well they started out running out. I mean, Kylo Ren's very very close to Kaibo Ren. Yeah, well, I mean, really close. It's like 
instead of inventing their own Star Wars names, they just consult a list of Star Wars names from characters who they don't think anyone cares about. And which is fine. That's true. Of Ky- time. Kaibo Ren. No one fucking cares about that guy. We're going to get Fondogo. <laughs> I <laughs> like, care. That's going to be so <laughs> many sound alikes. <laughs> so uh, Dr- Dryden Voss is a successful crime boss. They say he's the godfather, the debonair and sophisticated hoodlum, not the kind to get his hands dirty, way deeper in the crime world than anyone else we meet in the movie. So does that mean we're not seeing Jabba? Yabba. Maybe, maybe no Yabba. But, but... um. They did point out that in the photo of um, Bettany and Ron Howard from this article, which, again, we'll link to, in the back left corner, there is very clearly some Mandalorian armor. I would not say very clearly. That I, sh- I agree with that. I, I, I think the eye sees what it wants to see. and That shape could not be anything else. The, no, that just, that's like, look, that's Bigfoot. Come on. How can you, how can you deny that Bigfoot? Look at it. It could be a clone trooper. Yeah, could be anything. It could be a clone trooper, but it looks like Mandalorian armor. Yeah, it could be uh, 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 Jodo Cast. Could be Jodo Cast. <laughs> I told you they're making doubles of everything: Jodo Cast, Boba Fett, Lando, Solo, Tatooine, Dantooine. It could be John Favreau's Mandalorian character from Clone Wars. It could be voicing both. Uh, Tag and Bink. One of them is dressed up like Boba Fett, just like in the comic books. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. We also got some action figures. Uh, New York Toy Fair happened recently. Um, we'll link to where you can see the Star Wars uh, Black Series figures. Those are the very fancy figures. There's in- a particular interest, the Range Trooper. We're finally seeing the new the new Stor- Stormtrooper variant for this movie, and it looks like I'm not a fan of them making variants for every movie, but this thing looks crazy. Mm. He's got a big fur coat. He's got these weird like boots that seemingly like enhance his ability to walk. Like snowshoes or something? Like more like the um like an exosuit kind yeah. of like but I mean but I mean like be acting like a snow like he's able to get over the weird surfaces and yeah stuff. something like that so it reminded me of those boots from Face Off when they got the magnets inside the prison cells yeah it's interesting it's a really cool design and it, this trooper said to me like this is a specialized maybe there's just one guy I don't know but this is this is a specialized mm. stormtrooper of some kind and maybe the range isn't like sniper maybe the range is like hunter or like or. Or like a tundra, or a mountain range. Yeah, mountain range tundra type thing on the on that train. Yeah, that seems very very probable. We've also got a selection of the the regular size Star Wars figures, which we'll link to, as well as an image of a Black Series uh, Tobias Beckett figure. But these uh, the little figures, you know, they're they're normal. But there's one set in particular, which is Han and Chewie both covered in mud with ankle chains and a large armored turret blaster, which says this must be the Kessel escape two-pack they're they're muddy they're in chains um and han looks to be an imperial uniform but also in chains you know it takes inspiration from that movie uh, oh brother where art thou (laughs) it's this movie is literally everything han or anyone has ever said about scum and villainy (laughs) like we gotta see the spice mines of kessel it can't just be the kessel run we need the spice mines kessel too that's what i'm saying it's gonna be a break prison breakout from the spice mines like like cap was saying earlier Anything that was ever mentioned in Star Wars, it's it's just gonna get reused. The, the, oh, reused, you say? Yeah. Well, how about the other thing from Toy Fair, which was an unused Star Destroyer design from oh, Colin God. Cantwell, that is this weird triangle shape similar to a modern Star Destroyer, but with giant antenna dishes on the wings off to the side and in the front. Yeah. Three of them. Yep. That's an old, old, like pre 
final design design thing. This guy's this before, guy who, before New Hope. Yeah, this yeah. is the guy who did the X Wings, the uh, the Tie Fighters, the Death Star. Um, it was a Star Destroyer design. It, it was a Star Destroyer design, and it's now a design at for an Imperial ship in the Han Solo film. It's called the Arrestor Cruiser. No one's sure exactly what it is. Mm. Um, in the original version, these big. It, let me start by saying this ship looks terrible. It is. It is. It's, a it's, it's just it, 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 the it, wrong era it, it of design. It looks it's terrible. Too nuclear age for yeah. Star Wars. It doesn't really look like Star Wars. If you're doing like pulpy sci-fi Forbidden Planet, this then is it looks it's, spot on. It's space 1999, or what you said, Matt, about it being the Atomic Age. Yes, 100. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It, its design aesthetic, including the version made for Han Solo, is not actually the Star Wars look and feel that right. they're always waving right. a flag about. I was I was looking to see if I could find like a USSR logo on the side or something. <laughs> and like, you know, it, it's why it, it, it kind of matches with that 2001 A Space Odyssey, but fast. <laughs> and these, these dishes, they were originally not receiving transmissions. They were shooting lasers. Oh, they're boy. laser shooting dishes. I mean, now it's probably different. And it's also, I think the new cruiser looks much smaller than a Star Destroyer. It doesn't yeah. really look, I mean, so it's the same design, but they shrunk it a bit, and I don't know. It's just, again, it's like mining the old stuff and just like, I don't know. It's It could be fun. It's just, I'm, I want new things. Yeah, I mean. Well, it, it, it makes you wonder when they're going to empower people to like come up with i don't know i mean dude you go you on know. go on art station or deviant art and like they like there's so many other alternate concept art that just look great and expand on star wars but nothing that crazy or inventive has come out in any of the movies yet the u-wing i think fit u-wing like, was pretty good they took they took some vietnam helicopters and i mean we were there for that production design that doug chang where it sort of progressed from like a vietnam era helicopter and they just kept adding you know sci-fi layers until it went too far and then they brought it back and like it ended up with the way you know with the ewing and i think the ewing fits um but i'd like to see more of that type of thing instead of going into the well it, going back into the well was fun at first it was fun to influence rebels design it was fun to right well, see some it, things come it took back, place but... in that time period so it was fair enough whereas like now it's like the only thing we're getting new of is stormtrooper designs <laughs> like we're only getting more variant stormtroopers like when when right. they went back to mccory's like tatooine designs and pulled in that interesting shape uh building for Jakku. Um, for Jakku, yeah that that makes sense like that's a little piece of yeah. like star wars flavor that could go anywhere but this is a design that was not ever considered it was rejected yeah it's a rejected design Friend for good reason. <laughs> George looked <laughs> yeah. at this and said, "No, nah, it's fine. We'll, we'll it's, do something it, else." He's, he's probably said, "This isn't right." Yeah, and and it's not right, and it's still not right, and you know it's probably fine. And this might sound like nitpicking, but it's it's just a weird. This is a weird emblematic thing symptom about of of what's happening right now, and it's 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 odd. I'm just just putting it out there. It's odd. By the way, the the best part of this is it probably will be cut from the movie. <laughs> more more symptomatic of what's going on, oh, and will just leave us screaming about something that never even made it into the film. But yeah, I I agree with you on that. Like, whereas on the other side of things, though, like I think the the conveyx works in that regard. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Like, let's see more of that. Yeah, the conveyx. I am all aboard on the conveyx. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no. Choo-choo. <laughs> oh. 
Um, so one last little note about the Arrestor Cruiser is that coincidentally, Colin Cantwell actually public uh, posted his image of this original Star Destroyer on Instagram a week before this news broke. And then he later responded to it on also on Instagram. We'll link to all this where um, he uh, they asked him, did, did you know, did you know this ahead of time? He said, nope, news to me. And he's probably not getting paid unless you buy prints from his website. Hmm. So, you know, that's a, that's fine. That's a work for hire thing. He knows the drill. I don't think he's feeling sorry for himself about it. But hey, if you want to buy some prints from Colin Cantwell, you can buy signed production art, which is neat. Um, also, there was a vehicle called the Imperial Hauler, which is glimpsed briefly in the trailer, and people suspect that it's like it hauls some some of the materials that has something to do with the conveyx. Now, here is where we say we were wrong. We were so very very wrong about the tie-ins for Han Solo. We got an early list of books that were coming out, and it was all the usual like Coloring stickers books, and color, yeah, books. Uh, art books, whatever. But no, there is actually a nice little pile of solo tie-in stuff coming out real soon. And we're all shocked and humbled, I suppose, by the fact that it exists mm. and seems pretty okay. There's a book called Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older, which uh, is three eras of Han and Lando's lives. It uh, Part of it takes place before the events of Solo and focuses on Lando and L3. Part of it takes place between Solo and A New Hope, and focuses on Han, Chewie, and Sonastaros. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it uh, post-Return of the Jedi, where all these stories come together um, with Han, Leia, a very young Ben Solo, and Lando. Um, Michael Siglane, Lucasfilm's creative director of publishing, said, We always wanted to tell a story that had Han and La- Lando having one adventure after Return of the Jedi. Um, I guess he means we as the story group. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so there's, a, there's a lot of them already yeah. they're just legends yeah at the same time we really like the idea of contrasting that with seeing them much earlier in their lives a crime lord comes looking for the owner of the Millennium Falcon but mistakenly thinks it was Han Solo at the time but it was really Lando which gets Lando mixed up in something else Han did that was Han's fault all these years later the two of them have to right a wrong from much earlier in their history that sounds great that sounds super fun but let's circle back to Sonastaros Han's quote unquote wife from Jason Aaron's run on Star Wars, where we have long speculated there was supposed to be more of something going on there uh, with that character, who then just sort of that whole hint that the arc was going to like go back to Han's backstory a little bit evaporated to the point that we didn't get lots of details about her character at all, and we've long suspected it had something to do with the Han Solo film being in production. Them saying, wait, 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 we know we approved that, but maybe let's include this character in this film or maybe let's tell a story and ultimately they end up doing any of it you gotta get that uh that lady from game of thrones you gotta put her in game of thrones is really popular <laughs> gotta get her in there and you can't do it if uh if you got sound of stars that's already supposed to be married to him it's this ain't that kind of picture you gotta have the girl and the guy and a speeder bike and all that fun stuff Thanks, cigar chomping. Uh, who who are you? What's your name? I'm the, I'm the uh, unknown producer. <laughs> <laughs> I also wonder if, like, I don't think like it was ever a, like a a violent fan reaction to Sana Staros showing. I mean, well, friend people... of the show, Colin, would disagree. Who I mean, when when she showed up, he ranted and raved about what a terrible idea it was for for Han having a previous wife before Leia. Well, but but he said it was all bullshit. So it's like let's find out what's the story behind this, and then they don't say it. Right. You know and, what I mean? Like, and it probably is very interesting. Sorry, but I think 
there's the possibility maybe the fan reaction prevented them from pursuing Sana as the female lead character in but, but then why don't they Solo? just but why don't they change it instead of just dropping it entirely i because they're very reactionary are they though i we, we don't I, I i i think they're very reactionary i'm starting to wonder if rose is going to be in a coma in episode nine throughout the entire movie <laughs> seriously I would I even even mean as a not not a particularly huge fan of the role that she played in that movie like I don't want that to happen I think you could probably do a million great things with the Rose character but I I do worry that they take fan feedback way too quickly and I think it's because of how quickly these movies turn around like I don't think they let people just calm down and return to center <laughs> you know like people are eventually going to let it go and then you can continue to tell good stories but yeah, I, I, I do wonder if Sana had something to do with the way either they didn't get the reaction they wanted or there wasn't any reaction at all or whatever. But I just think it's interesting that all the initial casting tidbits were about a were, were from uh, female black actors. Right. And then all of a sudden it was Amelia Clark. Yeah, no, I think I, I think it is highly suspicious. I do want to back up and say to Colin's point, what Colin was very upset about, and I was very surprised at how upset he was about it. But he <laughs> he he was upset that Han was a virgin. <laughs> no, that that, <laughs> that that Han was basically a homewrecker. That that he that his, his that his relationship with Leia was an extramarital affair. Han is because, totally a homewrecker. Who is he kidding? But I agree, Han is the homewrecker type. I thought that was very on on you know on yeah. mark for him, but. Um, but the the thing was that the reaction to Sana Solo showing up, everyone forgot. Hey, folks! Comic books are a periodical medium. It's always going to end in a cliffhanger. You're jumping all kinds of conclusions yeah. from one issue, so that was a whole thing. Han Solo can murder and steal all he wants, but the moment he sleeps outside of wedlock, oh no, that's a uh, it's a big no no. He's I, a scoundrel. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, sometimes you know. Sometimes you're you're a scoundrel, so fucking deal with it. But that is not the only book. That is not the only book. There's also a book called Most Wanted by Ray Carson, which is a young adult book and focuses on Han and uh, Kira's life on the streets of Coruscant. Maybe uh, Kira and Han were married, too. Maybe it's just the same story as Sanastaros. <laughs> Maybe Han Solo is, is just like Ben is the first kid he ever tried to stick around and raise. He's a deadbeat dad. Just serial marriages all across the galaxy. <laughs> We're going I've to, got a marriage like, in 12 <laughs> systems. <laughs> He's, hey, come on. I know we're I know we're both kind of drunk, but let's let's fly out to Narshada and let's tie the knot and make this baby official. Like let's do it. Come on. I know it sounds crazy, but come on. <laughs> Chewie will fly us. He's a designated flyer. <laughs> And he pushes Chewie around because he knows that he owes him a life debt. So he's just not. Nah. And, and Chewie voices concerns, but like Chewie doesn't seem to be happy with this arrangement. Is he fine? He's like, nah. He's saying congratulations. He's not saying. <laughs> he's not saying don't come with us. <laughs> he's saying subtitled. Han, you already have a family on eleven systems. <laughs> yes, old pal. I think I will have two more for the road. I never, I never realized that Chewie is the Panda Baba of that relationship. <laughs> yeah. There's also a comic book series called Lando Double or Nothing written by Rodney Barnes. It's a five-issue Marvel series. Um, and Rodney Barnes, I never heard of him. Well, he's 
uh, one of the writers for the television version of the Boondocks. Oh, interesting. This is focused on Lando during an incident right before the film, and it debuts Wednesday after the movie opens. So nice and choppy. I, I mean, I'm all for it. These are the kinds of tie-ins that I want. Yeah. I'm glad they're here. Yeah, I'm, I want I want a lot more Lando, who I think is going to be like, I think Lando is probably going to be the runaway, like, great thing about this movie. And uh, and his buddy in this movie, L337, who I think is going to be possibly, like, the second, like, runaway great thing about this movie. So I, I think there's a good it's chance. It's cool that we're getting some tie-in. They could do, you know, whereas they might not be able, depending on where they end this film, they might not be able to do another Han Solo story. They could definitely do another Lando story. Yeah. There is one more thing. One more thing. Star Wars Adventures, the ongoing uh, young reader IDW comic that is, for the most part, pretty good. It has a three-part young Han tie-in, starting with their free comic book day issue. It's written by uh, Kevin Scott, and it's about Han and Chewie being targeted by Zuckus and Four Lam, and I guess set in the Solo era. Hmm. Um, I guess probably post-film, uh, and they're chased to a planet that causes mayhem for everyone involved bounty hunters and smugglers alike hmm i'm all for it more zuckus and forlom hell yeah like that's that's what i'm you know han and chewy sure but zuckus and forlom now you have my attention that's a deeper <laughs> cut than uh than uh boskin dengar in a way yeah in a way i mean at this point yeah ba- bosk has been all over and dengar was in clone wars so yeah, yeah it is a deeper cut i i don't we're, we're zuckus and forlom in clone wars matt I don't believe so. There were p- plenty of bounty hunter droids, but I don't think Zuckus or Forlom were in it. Hmm. Was I? What about IG eighty eight? Oh yeah, IG made his appearance. Appearances. He was in a uh, like the group of bounty hunters that uh, Cad Bane put together to break into the Senate building. Great episode arc, by the way. That is it for Solo, except that. Doug, you had some insights from from past Star Wars scripts. Yeah, uh, a couple episodes back before we did uh, before we saw the Last Jedi, I remember we were talking about uh, the a new a trailer for the Last Jedi where Luke is yelling at Rey to you know snap out of her like Jedi meditation, and I was like, that really reminds me of a scene in the Empire Strikes Back screenplay, and we read some of it on you know on the on the mic. Yeah, this was uh, episode forty, scavenging for Jedi secrets. We'll link to it on this episode's page. Yeah, and. Uh, I still feel that a lot of it was kind of lifted from that. Like just the, the, the archetype, like the way the scene progressed, it it felt very similar to me. And the closer we got to solo and the more uh, we started to see that this Woody Harrelson character is going to be like this mentor figure. uh, It reminded me of another thing in the empire strikes back screenplay, which was touched by Lawrence Kasdan, obviously where it mentions Han Solo's sort of adopted uh, stepfather. According to this, early draft it's not han's biological father they throw around the word like stepfather but not much more detail beyond that like how he's actually like related to han if at all but if both of you were you know willing i'd like to actually give have us give it a read instead of me reading everything you know like by myself sure okay before we begin i'll preface it by saying this is the first draft of the empire strikes back written by lee brackett it didn't have his title yet it was just called star wars 2 And Matt, I guess when you're ready. All right. On the ice planet, Han has just returned to the rebel base and has been ordered to meet with Princess Leia immediately. Upon entering the war room, Leia excuses herself and leads Han into the docking bay. Docking bay day. Leia is leading Han into a quiet area of the hangar. 
Han has recovered his good humor and is bending over Leia with a smile, but her small face is serious and intent. So you saw no signs of any inhabitants? Hostile or otherwise. Leia. Where's Luke? He'll be along. He had to go look at something pretty on the other side of the ridge. Leia, I've been meaning to... She holds up her hand imperiously, every inch a princess. Han, listen to me. We've been in touch with your stepfather. Han's face changes, hardens. He steps back from her. He's not my stepfather. Well, whatever he is, he was fond of you once. Of all people in the galaxy, you're the only one he might listen to. No. And anyway, he... He's agreed to talk to you. He has. Well, that's fine. I don't want to talk to him. I don't know why you quarreled with him and ran away. I don't care. All that matters is that Ovin Merkal is the most powerful man in the galaxy next to the Emperor himself. And Darth Vader. Through his transport guild, he controls... He controls all the pilots and navigators in commercial space, and wars aren't won with weapons. I know that. I also know that Ovin Markel goes with the winning side, and that side's the Empire. He doesn't exactly love it, but that's where the power is. Ice Corridor, day. Han and Leia have stopped now in an unfinished side corridor away from the noise and activity of the docking area. The corridor stretches away into dimness beyond where the light strip ends. Leia is looking up at Han and neither of them see what might be vague, shadowy motion, white on white, at the far, dim end of the corridor. If the Emperor crushes the Rebellion and comes to full power, how long does Ovin Markel think his precious guild will last? Han, we must have him on our side. You must try to win him for us. Han puts his hands gently on either side of Leia's face, turning her lips towards his. He bends over her. Leia, for you, I try even that. You would. For me. She smiles. Now his arms go round her. He pulls her closer to him, and for a moment it seems that she is melting into his arms, ready for his kiss. In the background, unnoticed, the dim white shapes move and watch. At the very last minute, Leia slaps Han's face with a resounding crack and he starts back, letting her go, thoroughly startled. Coldly, angry, she faces him. Captain Solo, a great war is waging. What you would do for me, or I for you, are matters of no consequence. The mission is vital. The success or failure of the Rebel Alliance may depend on it. As an officer of that alliance, will you or will you not accept the mission? I'll think about it, your highness. She turns and stalks away and he follows her. Behind them at the end of the corridor, the white-on-white shadows seem also to have departed. What are the shadows, Doug? Those are the Wampas. (laughs) And later, dude, the Wampas come out and it's a fucking, like battle it is it is a whole big thing that uh they the, you know we've all seen like the deleted scenes like oh the wampas are in that one little room and 3po tricks well, we've all troopers. played shadows of the empire yeah. under the code wampa stompa yeah, yeah. <laughs> but man it was a whole other thing in the script so uh but yeah that i i thought that'd be fun for us to read to sort of see what hopefully get a tone of what uh what this father figure might have been like for han and how he feels about that figure and i think in a strange way that kind of echoes the type of mentor figures they're talking about <laughs> like Lon John Silver it's like no nah, I don't want to talk to that guy like would Jim Hawkins want to talk to Lon John Silver would the Schofield kid want to talk to William Money don't think so well um, I just want to point out that Lee Brackett who wrote this screenplay uh, she tragically died way before her time mm-hmm. and uh, but but she was in Halloween the original 1978 Halloween the character Annie Brackett was named after her Oh. I learned that from Halloweenies, the new Halloween film series podcast on the Consequence Podcast Oh, you did it! You tied it in! (laughs) (laughs) 
I I love the Halloween series for all of its highs and lows. And uh, Mike Rothman, the editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound, he's such a diehard Halloween fan. He used to run one of the most prominent Halloween fan pages of the early internet uh, created on AOL's like personal web space <laughs> software, uh, which he'll talk about at length on this first episode. It's a deep dive, but this that's this is the kind of deep dive that I'm all about in terms of like nerding out on something on a podcast. So if you dig the Halloween films, you, you got to check out Halloweenies. We'll link to it on this episode's page. Now, on the topic of Lee Brackett, she wrote that first draft, and unfortunately she passed away before she could do another take on it, which is why they bring in Lawrence Kasdan. And uh, so Lawrence Kasdan literally inherited this script. <laughs> so, he's, so he read it, and uh, what we know as Empire Strikes Back was based off of this first draft with uh, Kasdan's uh, you know, alterations and uh, additions. Now, Doug, you live-tweeted your read of the early New Hope draft. Mm-hmm. You also live-tweeted your read of this, of this script, of yeah. this script, which we'll link to as yeah. well. And I'm, and I'm working my way through uh, the second draft of Return of the Jedi. And folks... Let me tell you. <laughs> what are you, there's, what are you telling us? There, uh, uh, this example that we just read of, oh yeah, look, they reference Han's stepfather, and we're getting Han's stepfather. Well, maybe that's just a coincidence. And oh, there's a scene with you know Minch and Luke meditating, and Luke's kind of going to the dark side, and but Minch has to call him back. Eh, it's kind of a coincidence. But I'm here to tell you, you know, it ain't a coincidence. Like <laughs> there's there's no such thing as luck, you know, because. Not to mention in this same in this same script, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader have uh, what people online have been referring to as a Force Skype phone call between uh, Ray and Kylo Ren. Very similar things in this early draft, and uh, even more so in Return of the Jedi. There are many things that show up in the new trilogy. So Matt, dig this. At a certain point in this early draft of Return of the Jedi, there's a lot of stuff going on. Endor, the Endor moon is actually a moon in orbit around Coruscant. But Coruscant is not Coruscant. Oh, it's called shit. it's called Hadabadin. And <laughs> so 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 not Coruscant. Hey, hey George, you look really wiped out. How was your night? Oh, I had a bad. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe who knows? But this but this is the name that actually shows up in the Empire Strikes Back early draft. So the the the, the Imperial planet was once known as Had Abaddon uh, for uh, Empire Strikes Back, but then it got scrapped, and they saved that name and description for the Imperial planet for Return of the Jedi. But then they ended up not putting it in there. Around the Imperial planet that is Coruscant, but under a different name, they are they are building two Death Stars, not one Death Star, not a new and complete Death Star. They are building two Death Stars. And the forest sanctuary moon of not Coruscant is where uh, the shield generators and everything else are. Anyway, uh, the movie takes several different paths. Luke is here, not there. Leia's here, not there. It's different but familiar all at the same time. But the point I'm getting to is that another big thing. Oh, I forgot to mention that in Empire Strikes Back, the Emperor, when you see him over a hologram, he's wearing a golden robe, much like Snoke. <laughs> um, no shit. No shit. He's we- he wears a robe made of gold. <laughs> And uh, in Return of the Jedi, or rather Revenge of the Jedi in this early draft, I suppose, written by George, actually, uh, according to the credit on the screenplay, there's a scene where um, after Luke has been kidnapped in order to get back to the uh, to the Empire, the Empire has kidnapped Luke just after rescuing Han on Tatooine. Han's like, I gotta go save Luke. He just saved me. I can't give up on my friend. He gets to the Rebel fleet, and they're like, oh, he must be somewhere like on the planet, on, on the forest moon. And he's like, well, I'm going to go get Leia, and I'm going to get Leia, and I'm going to go get Luke, and no one can stop me. And they sort of let him go. And as Han gets into the Millennium Falcon, 
they're realizing they have to go to the Imperial planet and the moon of the Imperial planet. The Empire is everywhere. Chewie goes, rup, 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 and Han's like, I know, I know, we, but believe me, I got a plan on how to get there. I, I'll figure it out. And through dialogue that is too specific for me to go look up right now, basically what the plan is this. Because the Empire is all around the planet, he's going to pull off a maneuver where he's going to make his landing approach on the forest moon at light speed. And at the uh. last second, he's going he's gonna to pull the lever, and they're going to land right on the planet. And I shit you not, he does it. And it, <sighs> I take back everything I said about J.J. Abrams. I'm sorry, J.J. George wanted to do it. <laughs> I forgive you. Yeah, George wrote it. And it's in there. I forgive you. I'm sorry, <laughs> JJ. Please forgive me. And uh, meanwhile, while that's happening, they're transporting Luke in an Imperial shuttle. Like, because because again, they captured. He didn't turn himself in. They captured him against his will. And Luke is in the back of this Imperial shuttle in like a little prison cell. And he's going. He's like, Ben, Ben, if you can hear me, please, please get me out of this. Ben, I need you. I need you. Ben, I need you more than ever. And Ben doesn't show up, but Yoda does. <laughs> Yoda's not dead. But Yoda force projects himself and has a con- into the shuttlecraft and has a conversation with Luke, talking about how Luke, uh, how Ben will, what, is not going to show up again because uh, he's about to join the Force permanently and lose all self identity. And Luke is like, "But I need him." And Yoda's like, "Too bad. You got to face Vader by yourself. No one's going to help you." And uh, yeah, and and he's just like, "Well, how are you here?" And Yoda explains that he's here by using the like the netherworld or whatever. So he's basically, again, telegraphing himself across time and space to speak with him, even though Yoda has not died. Does does it kill him? Uh, I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> uh, but Yoda Yoda shows up. I, we have yet to see Yoda in the flesh. He's always force projected himself, and it's, he's, he's in two scenes so far. And I don't know if it's going to kill him, but uh, it is certainly a thing. And it's not well, considered that. It weird. hasn't killed him in Rebels, Force projecting. So this is different. This is this is described script. differently than it does in Rebels. In Rebels, it's like that Force Skype conversation. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But he straight up projects himself into right. another place. And uh, I'm not even done with the script yet. There's so much more, man. It's like those are the big ones, but there's so many tiny ones. It's it, insane. It sounds to me like if we read all these old Star Wars scripts, we will never be surprised by anything that happens for the next but several years. But they're going to run out soon. They are, very quickly. They're already tapping fucking Star Destroyers that were not approved for use. Yeah. And then the idea of two Death Stars they have to blow up instead of one Death Star, are we going to get two Star Killer bases? Better fucking not. Dude, I swear to God, if we get two Star Killer bases or even two giant battle stations, we'll be like, well, I know where this is going. Like, 
because it's already been written. Doug, you got to like start a series of, of YouTube videos decoding Star Wars. Only reference old material. Anyone I see there's can a read lot of, this. There's already a lot of YouTube videos about trying to do that sort of thing, but not with older material, at least yeah. not that I'm aware of. But these are all online. If you if you if Anyone can go and read this. And I encourage people to go and read all these. I mean, it's a very nerdy thing to read early drafts, which aren't as good as the final product. Multiple drafts of a similar film. It can get very tiresome, but I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a nerd. I disagree with that. I mean, two Death Stars? I mean, man, that is some high stakes. No, it's fucking crazy. And dude, I shit you We've not. We've only seen them take on one. I Dude, right now, if you open up Google and do an image search, just say, just type in had a badden or just say two death stars how do you spell had a badden uh h-a-d so had uh-huh. and then i believe it's a-b-a-d-d-o-n i believe <laughs> so stupid <laughs> uh, it, it, it's a-b-b-a-d-o-n which there you is go, a yeah. hebrew word meaning uh, destruction but the but it, you uh, get you straight up get ralph mccrory art of two death stars under construction hovering over what is not coruscant and I'm like, this is the yeah, opening think, shot of the movie. Back then, like, I think it was like Imperial Center, or eventually became Imperial yes. Center. I think. Yeah, they, they called it, called it, it in the Empire Strikes Back script. They called it the Imperial Center. Then they eventually called it the Imperial Capital. But they, but for some reason, George spells Capital with an O, Capitol. And oh, it, it seems kind of British. I don't know. Maybe is that how? I don't know. I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. But I can't explain it any other way. And um, uh, he misspelled it multiple times. Yes. <laughs> multiple times. Every time. And uh, yeah, but then we also get to see the Imperial Palace where Palpatine lives, very Snoke-like, I must say. And later, when the Emperor gets Luke and he puts him in, he says, put him in the tombs. And granted, this is on a planet. This isn't on like a Death Star. They throw Luke into the tombs or the dungeon below, and it's basically a lake of lava. And uh, he's like on a rock in this lake of lava. And I can go on, but I, like I don't want to take up too much time unless we're really rolling on this. <laughs> it sounds like we're rolling, Doug. You've said so much already. I know. Okay, so I'm, again, I'm not done with the script yet, but this just for a little flavor because I'm gonna have to do a live tweet of this later. I'm making notes all along the way. Um, where I left off is uh, the confrontation scene where Vader and the Emperor and Luke. You may have seen the concept art of them on this like bed of lava, you know, and uh, like you know the Emperor's there and whatever, and. Um, uh, before the Emperor and Vader show up and Luke is Luke wakes up on this rock in the middle of a lava lake, uh, Ben Kenobi is there, but it says explicitly in the script, he is there in the flesh. It is not a ghost. And he's like, Ben, I thought you were going to join with the Force and you whatever. He's like, there's one more thing I must do and that's, I've decided to help you, Luke. And then Yoda shows up, Force projecting himself again and he looks kind of glowy but not really like he's not a ghost and he and uh and he's like yoda you're here too and like decided to help you we have defeat the emperor and vader you must and he's still like i can't kill my father this is crazy and they're like well we're gonna help you and all three of us together we're gonna take down and we're gonna destroy all this shit and uh they're like oh shit they're approaching and yoda's like i will use the netherworld to cloud their minds <laughs> now is the time to act and obi-wan's like okay luke listen we can't take them on together we have to do them one at a time are you ready and and it's just like I guess. And then uh, Vader and the Emperor come down and he's like, all right, let's get to work on turning you to the dark side. (laughs) And in this draft, Luke had not built his own lightsaber. Luke has no lightsaber in this draft. And Vader says, Luke is too good. You can't turn him to the dark side. Your only hope, Master, is to kill all of them now. But you know Vader's kind of like trying to trick the Emperor because he 
we already it's blatantly obvious that vader wants to protect his son at this point so there's no tension really but uh the emperor is like well no i'll turn him to the dark side i'm the emperor and then luke is like not today bitch and he pulls he force pulls vader's lightsaber off of vader's belt and ignites it and then the emperor is like destroy him vader and he pulls a lightsaber out of his like sleeve hands it to vader two red sabers start clashing in this lava pit and Amper is watching like yes and ben kenobi which i don't i don't know if he's a ghost or not but it says he's there in the flesh starts talking to the emperor and he's just like you know you failed and luke will not turn and he's going to save the day and the emperor's like oh no he's gonna go dark side i totally know it and (laughs) and then they're fighting 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 and finally uh vader i'm at the point now where vader like is about to get his hand cut off by by luke Except instead of it, you know, instead of like Luke losing his shit and getting angry and like cutting his arm off, Luke wails him to the ground. Vader's hand touches the lava and it burns like half of his hand off and it's all machinery and shit. And Luke is like, oh shit. And then the Emperor's like, good, finish him. I can feel your hatred. Finish him. And Obi-Wan told him earlier, like, you're going to have to kill Vader. Otherwise, we're all fucked. And Luke deactivates Vader's lightsaber. And he's like, no, I, I, I'm a Jedi. I don't kill. I, I attack only in defense. And he looks at Obi-Wan and he's like, if you want to see him dead, you do it. And he throws Vader's saber at Obi-Wan and Owen lands it like at Obi-Wan's feet. And, and like Obi-Wan's just staring like, oh, fuck. And I'm like, oh, my God, is Obi-Wan going to have to kill this motherfucker on a lava pit again? <laughs> like, like, where is this going? And and I had to stop reading there because I had to come in and record the show tonight. So ah! it's insane. <laughs> The script is well, insane. Doug, I think you just gave us the ending to episode nine. Yeah. I think you did too. Yeah. That's got to be Kylo Ren I and Ray. Surprise. We'll get some Yoda. By the way, that's how they debut that there's going to be an Obi Wan film, is it's like Ewan McGregor and Mark Hamill and Yoda, and they're all there helping out Ray. I mean, I guess just against Kylo. We he's already, the only person left. We but, already got Yoda like, showing up. Yeah. I think we're going to get all of them. But that's how they're gonna announce the Kenobi film coming out. But I don't <laughs> think I, I don't think Luke back. is ever gonna say, "Yeah, you have to totally kill him." Like I don't think, like like if anything, the other thing is like in this second draft, Luke is also much less sure of himself. Like in the beginning of the movie of Return of the Jedi, Luke is all like, "Don't worry, I've thought of everything." And Han's like, "Sure, great, I'll trust you." <laughs> like you know, it's kind of you know he's being smarmy. But in the opening of Jabba's palace and they're, you know, they're about to be executed. They're like, great plan, Luke. It all fucked up. And Luke's like, yeah, I know the plan didn't go according to, to what we wanted. But uh, don't worry, I'll think of something. And then like they play it by ear and miraculously escape. So I don't know. There's there's th- reading Return of the Jedi more than any of the other Star Wars scripts so far for me is the one of the strangest because all of the locations and names are well, with the exception of like Hadabaddon is like basically exactly what it is in Return of the Jedi. Like there's Death Stars, there's the throne room, there's the Ewok village, there's Jabba's palace. And it all feels very similar, but people just behave differently. And there's like Leia is, doesn't go to Tatooine to save Han. And uh, Luke is absent because he's being kidnapped by an Imperial officer named Jar Jar Rod. And Vader and Did him. Did you just are... say Jar Jar Rod? No, Jar, Jar Jar Rod. Uh, oh, Yes. It's a dude. I Again, I can go on for another hour, and I haven't even finished the freaking script yet. So, uh, But, yeah, it's, take that for what that's worth. And uh, Yeah, keep, you keep minding that. You tell us how episode nine ends. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think you just did, but maybe ha- alternate versions as well. By the time uh, our listeners are hearing this, I am probably have already started the live tweet of uh, of Return of the, De- the Jedi or Revenge of the Sith. So if you want to find out how it ends, just check out my Twitter. Which is? Doug V. Banks. That's right. Doug Vader Banks. Doug Vader Banks. At Twitter. 
I'm uh, <laughs> I'm at Cap Blackard. I'm at Matthew Spill. And uh, you should check out, if you're listening to State of the Empire and you don't know us that well yet, well, you should check out some of the other stuff we do. We uh, we do a bunch of podcasts on the Nerdy Show Network, as in the network uh, that houses the studio in which we record this consequence of sound production. I do a bunch of audio drama stuff. Doug is the game master for an incredible Ghostbusters role-playing audio drama called Ghostbusters Resurrection. Thank you. And uh, we're actually going to be at a convention next month uh, talking about Lightning Dogs, our animated series we're trying to develop, which is a 80s, 90s action-adventure sci-fi of the likes of all those rad TV shows that you used to watch, but even better than those. Name a name a TV show until you get one they like. <laughs> Start naming them. Uh, He-Man, Ninja Turtles, <laughs> Road Rovers. I don't care, man. Pick a cartoon. Not Road Rovers. <laughs> not never Road Gargoyles, Rovers. Young Justice. Gargoyles, that's better. Yes, okay. Like those. So street uh, sharks, a little, yeah, a little, a little bit. Little a little bit. bit. <laughs> <laughs> Go to lightningdogs.com to check out more about that. But we're going to be at a convention. We're going to be at North Carolina Comic Con, Oak City, March seventeenth and eighteenth. I'm going to be hosting a bunch of panels. Um, we're going to be doing a Lightning Dogs panel, but I'm going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing a Ghostbusters panel with Eric Burnham, the guy who writes the Ghostbusters comic book, the amazing Ghostbusters comic book. I'm going to be doing a panel called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, where I'm going to be talking with Burnham and Tom Waltz, and a bunch of other people who make Turtles happen. And I'm going to be talking with the voice actor for Farah from Overwatch, doing an interview panel with her, and uh, probably... What more do you need? Uh, a lo- yeah, if you're, are you in North Carolina? Do you want to go to a really great, intimate comics convention with some incredible talent? Um, not just us, but really just an incredible cadre of, of creators who are going to be hanging out there. Come out to it. We'll link to it on this episode's page, and uh, we can talk some Star Wars. Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Biker Cat- mice from Mars. SWAT cats. <laughs> Let's keep going. Brave Star. Uh, Silverhawks. <laughs> Droids. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, folks, Lightning Dogs is one of our favorite projects that we're working on. We're really excited about it. So if you haven't ever checked out any of our other stuff, please do. And if you like this show, if you like State of the Empire... Well, you can help make it possible. You can rate and review us on iTunes. That's a free way to do it. Just takes a little bit of your time. And in fact, we have an iTunes review uh, that we'd like to share with you. Witty review title by HDHDX Hush. A fun show with a few guys who are real Star Wars fans. Always up to date and entertaining, despite their heretical liking of Rebels over Clone Wars. <laughs> How's it make you feel, Matt? Oh, very angry. Uh, look, I'm never going to disparage Clone Wars. I think there's amazing, amazing things in Clone Wars. It was just so, if you didn't get a chance to binge it, like that's not how I watched it. I watched it weekly. It just doesn't work as a weekly show because they jump so many different places at random times. Great show to binge. Has so you ever consider that maybe they were just ahead of their time? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the <laughs> I did, life, that was not like the, goal. the second life that that show got on Netflix as soon as it hit Netflix is quite amazing because people, a lot of people got to realize how great that show could be because you could easily get past something that didn't work. And there was, there was quite a few that really, really don't work. And then you just move on to the next thing. But Rebels has always been like, oh, I got to know what happens next to this crew. So it's, it's a different feeling. And uh, one little note I want to make is that, uh, HDHDX Hush said a few guys, and this probably has never come up on State of the Empire before, and I know you don't mean nothing by it, but I'm actually trans, so not a guy, just in case you're hearing this voice and thinking, probably has a penis. Well, you're right, but also, 
Not a guy. <laughs> so TMI. I know. Ugh. I'm sorry. I shouldn't even brought it up. Gross. Ew. Barf. <laughs> no offense taken, but since it's certainly never come up on State of the Empire before, uh, that's a thing. Anyway, you folks ready for some Willow Watch? Willow. Okay, short one right now, and that is that in that same Ron Howard article that I mentioned, there was a little bit of mention of Willow, in which Ron said, that was a treat to reconnect with Warwick. He's smart, he's versatile, he's funny, and he's a pleasure and an old friend, so that was a blast. Nice. Willow 2 coming soon. Oh, no, he, <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> but I know he, 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 it's kind of like he said it, because his heart said it, mm-hmm. and I heard his heart say it. It's like, you, I tell you, man, the, 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 the synapses are connecting. The, it's, all, it's all happening. It's in his brain. Mm-hmm. It's going to just a matter of time before he says, you know what? That Willow TV show I offhandedly mentioned on Reddit. Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah, that, that, that could happen. And man, it, it was fun making that movie, so why not? <laughs> also, I'd like to remind everybody that on April 5th in Orlando, Florida, or, well, Winter Park, Florida, more specifically, there's going to be a Willow screening, and uh, Doug and I are probably going to be there. I'm definitely going to be there. Doug, are you going to be there? I, I, unless something comes up that's more important. And it's free. It's a yeah. free Willow screening in the park. So come out if you're in Central Florida and watch Willow with us outdoors. It'll probably get interrupted by a train. But that's okay. They pause the movie when that happens. Do they? Yeah, they often pause it when a train goes by. Oh, that's nice of them. I've never, yeah. I never bothered to go. No, it's it. Yeah, they're, they're considerate. Cool. Well, <laughs> hey, come watch a very considerate <laughs> screening of Willow. Man, it'd be so fun to like if we could plan it when Bath Morda is like, "You're all pigs," and we just like <laughs> get little pig noses and start going, <laughs> and just everyone on the on the green in the park just all rolling around. Going, <laughs> oh, I was actually laughing because I thought we're gonna actually release pigs into the audience. Oh shit! <laughs> no, that's even better than my idea. <laughs> Either way, uh, Start, it's, it's turning into like a Rocky Horror experience. Everyone throws brownies at the screen. <laughs> what, are you going to throw a brownie? That's no, a I mean like brownie. actual brownies, like little chocolate well, little, treats. No, I mean, you're going to throw a brownie? I want to eat that. Uh, I guess, I'm not going to waste a perfectly good brownie, Doug. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm, my ideas maybe aren't that great. I'm just saying <laughs> it leads to something better than, than great. We could throw like little Ken dolls dressed as brownies. <laughs> <laughs> we'll light 13 candles. <laughs> or we could have a... A drone that looks like a a hawk and have have brownies steal a baby from the audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, stole the baby! <laughs> Except you got a plan where it's like you loudly announce, "I have to use the bathroom. Someone watch my baby." And you walk away. No, a, a stranger's baby. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually strange. Or we baby. could like go around like trying to sell black root. I'm about to say he's like, "Get your black root here. <laughs> black root for everyone. <laughs> put hair on your chest." Man, they really should have asked us before they put on the show this screening. We would yeah, kill it. Yeah. We would kill it. <laughs> like a secret cinema of Willow would be my jam. Mm-mm-mm. That's a delicious jam. I'd put it on anything. <laughs> anyway, thus ends Willow Watch. Let's talk a little bit about a very strange piece of Star Wars rumor. Star Wars Resistance. A guy named Jordan Mason, who's the editor-in-chief of Cinelinks and a Star Wars artist for Tops, as in the trading cards, tweeted, Lucasfilm Limited just filed a trademark for Star Wars Resistance, and before you start claiming mobile game, it's registered for books, games, toys, all the same stuff their media get. Could this be the sequel timeline based on the series that's been rumored? It's interesting, because that's a big, you know, 
Resi- Star Wars Resistance. I mean, the Resistance is the side you're taking in um, the, the the Galaxy's Edge theme park experience. It could, in theory, be an all-purpose Just tra- trademark for, for anything. Or perhaps, perhaps it could be the next Dave Filoni Star Wars show, hmm. which is my guess. Yeah, mine too. I think it's a natural kind of flow from Rebels to Resistance. You know, might as well do that whole a, thing again. Have a aged Hera in the show, perhaps. She's an incredible character. Yep, would be fun. It would be a lot of fun. Do Twi- how, do Twi'leks age the same way as people do, or they last longer? Oh well, uh, Bib Fortuna is actually a hundred year old. Uh, oh, then Twi'lek yeah, she, female. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I actually. I wonder uh, if there's been any sort of source for that for for lifespans of various aliens. I mean, I know, I know. Obviously, Yoda, we can ID. You know, probably 900 years is a good thing for his species, which I still don't think they've named. But I think Wookies last a long time too. Like, I want to say Chewie is much, much older than Han. Isn't he supposed to be like three, like 300 years older, somewhere around that? Something According like that, to legends, yeah. uh, the. Uh, the table of age categories on page 120 of the Star Wars role-playing game revised core rulebook indicates that Twi'leks have essentially the same lifespan as a human. Thank you very much, Internet. Oh. But that's Wonder- non-canonical now. What we're living in. <laughs> um, so here's a thought I had about Rebels and the follow-up show that I did not mention last episode, and that is that I think that the next Star Wars series is going to be 2D, not 3D. What makes you say that? The reason I think this is that we have seen a notable decrease in 3D children's or young adult animation. I think that it was originally started because it was, you know, the next big thing in animation and so on. But Mm -hmm. the fact is that all animation is now computer animation, regardless of whether it's in 3D or not, in any kind of true sense. And things that should have probably likely been 3D, like Big Hero 6, for example, the television show, which recently Mm -hmm. debuted, is a 2D show. Most of Disney's programming now is 2D shows. The new Ninja Turtles show, which was formerly a 3D show for Nickelodeon, is now a 2D show. Is it more cost prohibitive like is this like 3d is extremely cost prohibitive i mean mean, we know that but like just taking it to 2d is that suddenly unlock the door to more stuff i yeah i mean i here's what i think i think this is just like video games where like 3d video games were the next big thing so everyone had to do it even though they were reinventing the wheel to do it and ignored the fact that they could make they went from being able they they were at the threshold of being able to make exceptional 2d games you know, beyond the scope of what they were prior able to do. I mean, not that there weren't exceptional 2D games before Nintendo 64 came out. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying they had the capacity to, to expand that genre even further. And they didn't because they had to do 3D. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing has happened in animation. And with shows like Ninja Turtles, for all five seasons of that great show, they were constantly being limited by a show that allegedly takes place in New York City but never has enough people, buildings, places, locations, or anything to represent the fact that they are in New York City. Mm-hmm. That That's something, uh, that's a thing I have a problem with with Rebels, is I think Lothal oftentimes feels quite dead. And sometimes it works when they're outside the city, but when they go inside the city, it's so lifeless. Yeah. And I think probably because of, at first I thought it was stylistically, but it makes sense. The 3D environments are just too expensive to a lot of sneaking around in corridors, you know? Yeah, every time you have to do something new, whether it's a background 
or a character. It's another new big expense, but in 2D, it is just not even comparable. You can let your imagination run wild, which is the objective goal of animation. Could you imagine trying to make Adventure Time a 3D show? I cannot, and I will not. Yeah. <laughs> like your head would explode. <laughs> So I think the I think the next even though Dave Filoni's in, I don't know what he did before before Clone Wars but to my my whole knowledge of his creative experience has been with 3D but I think the next show is going to be 2D no doubt and if he does get to do an imperial imperial like fighter show mm-hmm. I bet you he's going to tap that guy who did that incredible Tie Fighter short like anime style that, animation that took that guy years it to did make that, so you know a solo project yeah. just think what happens if he has a team working for him yeah yeah. And a director like Dave Filoni. Or hey, we know Dave Filoni likes that Willow. And we know there was a Willow <laughs> animated, you know? There was. Never give up hope. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that I think that my theory is Star Wars Resistance is the next show, and it's gonna be 2D and it's gonna be announced when Rebels ends. Mm. Boom. Now moving on to toys. Hasbro is making my childhood dreams come true. These crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> are making a Jabba's sail barge playset vehicle the whole thing. I mean, it's this is like the biggest Star Wars playset ever made and it's for this tertiary thing. <laughs> it's a new project they have called Hasbro Lab and it's specifically made to be a Kickstarter for crazy ideas for Hasbro. Hmm. So if they get 5,000 orders for this $500 Star Wars vehicle, (laughs) they will make it. And they will make the childhood dreams of myself and every other young aspiring action figure collector come true. I'm never going to buy this thing. I don't actively buy action figures anymore. I can't budget it. I don't have space for it. I don't have children. But I want this to exist so badly. (laughs) They are currently at... 1,815 as of this episode's recording, and they need to get 5,000 by April 3rd. Will they do it? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't that's, know. Uh, you know, I feel like there's enough collectors out there that have a lot of... I think they'll do it. And that's maybe why the, the place that looks kind of bare, like it's like, oh, well, display all your little action figures here. Like it's a display piece almost, you know? It's not bare. It's got all kinds of details. It, but it's, it, it just looks... The, the picture they had, it's like you got job in the middle and like it's room to put all the other action figures in there. Oh, yeah, because you need to... You, well, I mean, you, you've seen I mean, the fill it, the, You got yeah, yeah. to fill it with a crowd of, it, yeah. of you know, Yak Face and <laughs> and Boba Joe, Fett, Joe Yowza. Boba Fett uh, macking on those chicks, you know? Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Here's a fun fact. Boba Fett's not in the Return of the Jedi early script. Huh. Weird. And, yeah, and uh, Bib Fortuna is a human who speaks basic. Bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's a thing that's happening. Also, we'll link to where you can see the Dr. Aphra figure. And she looks great. She looks great. Speaking of Dr. Aphra, Doug, you got a copy of the Dr. Aphra comic right in front of you. Yeah. A really unexpected thing happened. Apparently, this was announced in December, and it totally floated by me. Dr. Aphra takes place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Hera is now in the book. Yep. I don't know where it's going. She hasn't changed her clothes at all. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, Doug? There's good reason for that. But we'll talk more about that behind the blast doors. I mean, uh, Han hasn't changed his clothes <laughs> the entire time we've known him. One last thing before we open those blast doors. Let's talk about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. 
they did an open house kind of event at uh, Disney Hollywood Studios a little while ago where they handed out Star Wars trading cards. And these trading cards had images that uh, there were like six unique cards with variations. And when you put them together, you start to get more information about Galaxy's Edge than were actually uh, available commonly. People are still figuring out how many of these cards actually exist. Um, these were given out to press. Like, it's very kind of like on the download details about things. But some of it has actually started to get confirmed via early release merchandise that I, I encountered at Disney Springs. For example, um, Rex, Captain Rex from Star Tours, is going to be a DJ hosting some kind of like nightlife event in Star Wars Land. They have DJ Rex t-shirts at Star at Disney Springs now. And the thing, didn't, didn't we point out that the Orabesh on it is, is nonsensical? Oh, yeah, it's gibberish. Yeah, so it just fake looks like DJ Rex. But, so it probably, it probably says something like really vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, we have details about the rides, though. This is one of the most interesting things. One of the rides is a rescue mission, a ride vehicle that's not the Falcon moving towards some walkers with a reference to a rescue gone wrong. Another card shows a ship salaming between uh, the ridges of a canyon, an area called Surabat River Valley. And uh, we don't really know how this fits in with the two big rides that we know for a fact are part of Galaxy's Edge. Mm. There's a card called Blue Milk Delivered Fresh from the Farm. And uh, there was they mentioned before that there was going to be blue milk and maybe other colors like uh, green sea cow titty milk. Fresh from the sea. Are they going to let us milk the titties? I hope so. <laughs> like yeah, like it's, it's like a fountain drink machine. You go over and just... <laughs> so great. Um, and there's also a drink called Blurg Fire, which will be available in the cantina of Batu. Hmm. There's Ancient Ruins and Resistance Recruits. That's one of the names of the cards. Um, there's no not any ruins that we've seen so far, but they're mentioned. Um, and they frequently mention Resistance Recruits on these cards. Are the recruits guests, or are they part of the live drama that's unfolding around the guests? I, I'm still in awe of the fact that they want to be like, oh, there's going to be actors and character all around you. And I'm just, ooh, ooh. I'm giving like, that 18 months and that's it. Yeah. But It'll we, so even though we live in Orlando, we're never going to see it because it's freaking jam packed. Dude, Avatar, the, the, the freaking Avatar land in order to get on that flight on the back of a Banshee, you got to wait like six hours some days. Well, fun yeah, fact: the, li the line is getting longer yes. at Avatar Land. It's yeah. insane. So just imagine Star Wars Land is going to be so much worse. I know. What do I? What do we do? Well, we gotta. I don't know. We need to start. We, gotta, we need I, to make pals with like Bob Iger. Or something. No, 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 no. What we gotta do is we gotta knock out some stormtroopers, and we gotta get in stormtrooper <laughs> uniforms, and we gotta Ooh, infiltrate. I like that. You know what? Yeah, we could totally we could totally go uh, rebels. You know, and if they try to stop them. us, if they like this actual security gets called in, like you assaulted actors, like we, we we're playing this thing. That's how you we're rebels. You know, come on, that's in the we're new recruits. <laughs> we're the recruits trying to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> I mean, a proven track record of, uh, on rebel, right? We, you know, we there's no way it, it can, what could go wrong. We'll we'll get in, no problem. Yeah, man. And everything I see in Rogue One and in Rebels, if a stiff wind will knock down a stormtrooper, let's be like, uh, come on. <laughs> And if it doesn't, you know they're rebels because there's no way like they could have someone that competent. True, very true. <laughs> um, black spires is the last thing. There's all these uh, references to something. So black spires on the cards. 
something to do with Batu, something to do with its history. Um, there's a location called Black Spire Station that looks like a repair facility. There's also a rock formation called Black Spire. And all the cards have some arabesque lines that you can assemble to make a poem that there's only a fragment of on the Cinema Blend website where these were posted. But the poem reads, Black was the spire that called me to stay, a beacon for drifters forgotten and lost. The spires summoned, those broken and tossed, come stay here forever or just pass on through. And they need three more cards to complete this poem, whatever it means, which is seemingly nothing. But interesting Mm. flavor, interesting effort to go to on these promotional cards, handed out to press at at an event leading up to the eventual debut of this theme park, which you can presently buy T-shirts that say, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge coming 2019. You can buy a t-shirt that says basically that. Uh, I'm going to stick with the DJ Rex. That's <laughs> God, if Paul Rubens is there doing DJ Rex, that'd be my shit. Every night. Yeah. It's his job now. beautiful <laughs> DJ Rex. Anyway, that is all of our spoiler-free stuff that's happening right now. We hope you'll join us behind the blast doors. But if not, we'll see you next time in another two weeks for an all-new episode of State of the Empire. Now, let's open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. So, Star Wars Rebels, we've seen two episodes. We've seen Jedi Knight with an N, not with a K. And the episode Doom. (sighs) Yep. Matt, we haven't had a chance to speak with words about this exactly. What did you think? Well, I've had a hard time processing this with words. It's been mostly images and feelings and emotions. It's funny because for something that we've decided was completely inevitable, which was the death of certainly Jedi Knight Caleb Doom, a.k.a. Kanan Jarrus, yet somehow it still felt, I mean, it hurt, you know, obviously, but it also felt unexpected that would happen this early in the season, despite the fact that also (laughs) five minutes into the episode, I knew it was going to happen. They didn't pull any punches when it came to, like, this was the end of Kanan's story. I saw the clip, and I got to say, I think they've survived worse scraps. Like, they've miraculously escaped worse situations. They put them in a situation that normally they would win through. Like What's funny is because that was part one of a two-part night. I mean, you know, they were separate episodes, but, you know, they were both there the same night because it happened in, in the first half of that hour long block. I was like, Oh, are they going to pull a Sabine's mother and bring him back in episode two? But they didn't. I don't think it's the last time we will hear from Kane and Jarris. I don't know if he became necessarily one with the force. Something crazy happened there with his eyes, eyesight returning right there at the y- end. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's hard for me to process because it's strange to me that, for a character that I've only known for three years, four seasons, three years, I was more emotionally moved by his ending or his departure, I suppose, than I was Luke Skywalker's in Last Jedi. And that's not even to disparage the way he was dismissed in Last Jedi. It was just, I'm surprised that I was affected that much by it. I started to worry that I was becoming too emotionless of an adult when Luke departed and I didn't feel much. And yet... That didn't happen with Rebels. Kanan died, and I, I, I was upset. I had to stop the the recording that I was watching from and just kind of try to process it for a little bit. Well, you spend more time 
with Kanan. Like Luke shows up in the same movie, and then boom, he's gone. And the same with Han. Well, but we True. we spent so long with Luke Skywalker as a character. We spent our whole lives with Luke Skywalker as a character. Yeah, and and, and I had you know twenty further years of adventures in the expanded universe. I remember reading the Legacy comic. We never got to see Luke's death in the expanded universe on page or on screen, but he showed up as a Force ghost in the Legacy comics, and I cried. <laughs> Like I, I was, you know, I was much younger, but it really affected me. The idea that just the idea that he was dead and that he will die in the expanded universe. But in last Jedi, it just didn't get me, but also Han didn't do much for me either, but Caleb doom, he really, uh, it was a noble death, but like you said, Doug, it, it just, it wasn't to the scale of what that group was capable of getting away with. To me, I think that may have been what was missing. Yeah, Ezra just sort of sits there and watches, like like the way yeah. Chewie just watches Han get blowed up or stabbed rather, and it's just like, I, I was just like, do something. It's one of those things like, that happen where they where they know that it's what they want to do, and they can't invent a scenario that feels natural yeah. or believable in which to do it. And I've seen this happen many times on many different shows and films, mm-hmm. and it's a shame because you know it had all the right elements except for the part where you're like. And this totally made sense. There was no way out of it. But instead, it really, it in a way, it reads like Kanan reaches this understanding via some meditation that he's going to die soon and accepts it and then lets it happen. The first moment yep. where something might kill him, he just lets it happen. As opposed, I just, like, I, I, I and, but it's, it's the, it's the way that Ezra didn't do anything. <laughs> like, that's the other thing, too. It's like between the two of them, they've, they've done way bigger things using the force together. But yet this time it's like, I'm too busy holding Hera back. What the fuck? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. 99.9% of Kanan's arc through both the episode and the series seems to work. And then the contrived scenario they invented, which unfortunately was, I feel invented more to, you know, they mentioned in the next episode that production of the tie defender project has halted because of the destruction of those fuel cells. So, you know, they say, yay, we did it. Kanan succeeded, but no, it's just Governor Price being a, apparently a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like... Reckless. I don't know. It, yeah, it was very strange. And she sacrificed all of her pawns to kill a bishop. Well, and let's let's talk about another, another convenient bow. Grand Admiral Thrawn is requested to speak to the Emperor on Coruscant because it's between Project Stardust, a.k.a. the Death Star, and production of the TIE Defender. So he leaves... Because if he was there witnessing all of this, if it wasn't the Emperor calling him, he would have been there, and this all would have gone down much differently. But mm-hmm. they, they take him off the board because they know that Thrawn is too big a problem to deal with right now, and he needs to continue on to later you know, books and properties and so on. And then, I was going to say, untouchable in his own way. Yeah, and then all this happens. So it's, it's weird because like, it is still good, and Rebels is still good, and, and it was affecting in its way. But unfortunately, as I'm watching the episode, I'm thinking but this doesn't actually make sense and you could have done this differently and it's a shame. Yeah. I mean, look at, uh, you know, at, at the risk of bringing in star Trek. I mean, you watch wrath of Khan, the way that movie ends with Spock making that choice. You're like, eh, that kind of had to happen. And that's the only way that could happen. And, uh, we get so few of those. There yeah. are so few of those. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. they couldn't, I don't know. I mean, and like, they just great. undo it in the next film. Ugh. Well, I mean, uh, it's a whole other situation. But like, I still watch. I can watch the end of that movie, and it still gets me. I still can. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh fuck, because there's so much history, and it, the story itself is about death, you know. Whereas this was just kind of like, 
we know that they're kind of doomed because of what happens in the galaxy at large, but it, the situation didn't resonate at all. Yeah, it Is was it, confusing. Yeah. The whole entire thing left me confused. Yeah, and as things progress, um, the the follow up episode Doom is a transitional episode. It's a character mourning episode in a way, but it's really more of glue to whatever comes next, which I presume is going to be some big stuff involving the uh, father, the daughter, and the son, the forced spirits of some kind. I want Ezra to be Snoke so bad. Doug, come on. You don't even know how perfect it would be. You know it's it's not going to happen. You're right. I don't know. It's not, it makes it, no sense I'm, to I'm, me. I'm telling you right now, I know it's not going to happen. But, man, it'd be perfect. It would be so good. How? Well, everything that's happened in their lives, everything that, that, that Ezra's gone through. Nah. If Snoke had, like, a menagerie of weird animals in there with him instead of the uh, Praetorian guards, then I'd be like, you know what, Doug? You're on to something. But Ezra's all like, according to the visual guide, he's got the other weird animals, weird aliens who can those, see the hyperspace those brains. Are, those are aliens with big brains. Yeah. They're not the same as like having a bunch of space whales that listen to him or a bunch of wolves that hang out or a bunch of, you know, weird owls. That's Ezra's bag. He'd have. A, but he goes dark side and the animals don't talk to him anymore. And he gets uh, angry and he's lonely. He wears yellow a lot. Like, it's kind of like gold. <laughs> He he once picked up that green cross saber. But yeah, I guess that that was what I was getting at with the uh, the Doctor Afra comic is that uh, Hera. You see that this is us seeing Hera, you know, reasonably not too long after what happens in Rebels, and we knew she was alive because we've seen her on the Endor mission in Return of the Jedi in the Forces of Destiny cartoon. Yeah, but this is her running a rebellion flight academy out of an old Trade Federation donut ship. Mm. and she's got herself hooked up running multiple X-Wing simulations, flying multiple X-Wings at the same time in the central command hub uh, for trainees who are, like, green and are just learning the ropes. Mm. But she's, like, she's got this, like, stoic, weird, like, shell-shocked vibe. She's still the, the general, you know? She's she's running a huge operation, mm-hmm. but she's taking on a lot, and she's doing it seemingly alone. Chopper's nowhere to be seen. Because Kanan died, and Ezra went to the dark side. And where's Sabine? Sabine went back to Mandalore. <laughs> and where's Rex? <laughs> Rex is running. He's he, Hera's like in the Navy. Rex is like the Army. And where's Zeb? Zeb's dead, baby. <laughs> Zeb's dead. But yeah, Hera's definitely in a bad place in this. And yeah. I'm curious to see how getting... Uh, she gets kidnapped by Dr. Afra as collateral. It's a great... This book has come so far. I hated that character so much when she was in Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really good, and she's got Hera kidnapped due to a series of stupid circumstances that only someone like Doctor Afra could put could you know pull off because like Hera is not easily surprised. I I, I got to start reading Doctor Afra because I am still in the boat that I I didn't care for her because I haven't read any of her uh, solo stories. I've only read you know part mm-hmm. of Vader, and I just don't get it. So, and that's like she's kidnapped Hera. I'm like, oh great, the Golden Child does does a thing. She's so evil, ain't she evil, folks? Like, but uh, I'll have to take your word for it. I don't have to pick it up and read it because you seem, to, you it's seem to like it. It's just proof once again. Like, it's time. Like, Marvel needs to, and it worries me. This Disney releasing a movie every year because they're gonna have to try so hard to be relevant to the films that are coming out. But like, they need to spin off like Dark Horse did and get funky and get weird. And that's why the Afro comic is working so well is because they're not so connected to everything. Yeah, it got. It's gotten so weird. It's gotten so weird. And yeah. that's that's my favorite thing about it. 
like Afra has been enslaved by the droids who she freed <laughs> and um and and is now working with these like worse than the bounty hunters kind of people and she hates it and <laughs> she's got like exploding lothcat things and that who have like 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 actual living creatures that have a genetic physiology that's like highly explosive under certain circumstances and there's a guy without a head whose body cavity can be filled with weapons and there's an imperial officer who she's got a weird romance with that like they they hate each other but they don't i mean like that and, it all sounds weird but it just again i haven't read it so i i really shouldn't say cuz i don't know but it just it seems like she's she's evil rose that's how it comes off to me. It's just like she's she's perfectly evil and bad and scoundrelly and all we like to see are all these little you know scraps that she gets stuck in and she brushes Darth Vader here and she gets a long distance view of Skywalker over there and always on the outskirts but yet untouchable. It gets very close to that but never quite gets as untouchable as you as you are picturing it. I yeah. mean if she's if she's a villainous character or a, I mean maybe not like evil incarnate right but like antagonist to all the characters we do like Doug, she's belloc i don't think i'd read a belloc comic I... oh <laughs> that, that is the wrong answer Doug. I, I don't because i don't i don't know like what beyond his rivalry with indiana jones what makes him interesting he too is a scoundrel but a scoundrel with no moral scruples and he's french <laughs> i don't know i guess i mean that's why i need to read it because I, I don't yeah, know the character well what enough. i don't know where she draws the line doug what you're describing is 100 percent fair Based on the character as presented in the Darth Vader comic, yeah, and that's all I know of her. Yeah, but uh, but when she's when she's unchained from that, she becomes that pr- that character that we were promised from the get go of being this like morally reprehensible Indiana Jones. And the Vader team up years almost seem like they don't even tie into this character anymore. Like it, it like going when I think about that, I'm like it's just not the Afro character that like I feel like I'm following anymore. I feel like there's even lines that kind of like allude to how ridiculous sounding that is that he had like a Indiana Jones, you know, buddy working evil with him. It just, yeah, it doesn't really drive anymore. Yeah. So it's good. She's good. This hair development is very exciting. Another mark of weird shit that happens in this comic book. And Kanan's death was, uh, was unsatisfying. Also weird note, just for historical purposes, if any of you listening to this show in the far flung future, Disney XD's YouTube channel released a, a video called the death of caleb doom hours before it debuted <sighs> wow why i don't understand i think maybe not for the east coast but definitely for the west coast of the united states Yeah, definitely for the west coast because i i saw that before it even was on disney xd and that's that's the title of the video the death of caleb doom oh well guess that happens qui-gon's noble end yeah yeah uh <laughs> thanks assholes man really the the evils of the social media world that that had to be up immediately like as soon as the post feed was over gotta get it up people want to talk about it gotta get up hey bro social media check check it out man death of caleb doom fun video to share fun to share hashtag death of caleb doom (laughs) hashtag where were you and Fuck the whole you. the whole thing of Disney XD and XD being like the sideways emoji of like the smiley face. Eh. Death of Caleb Doom, Disney XD. Eh. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Coming up in Rebels, what do you think, Matt? Does your perspective on what's gonna happen change at all? I'm very confused that Loth Wolf Part Two, which when the sequence started was really, really cool. And I was like, Well, where are we going? Where are we going with this? And then it just kept going <laughs> until 
I kind of got the idea that they were stalling for time to end the episode. I guess I'm surprised that they're getting into this much mysticism of the force this late in the program. Yes, exactly. There's there's like this is something they should have been episodes. doing in season three. Yeah. I believe the next episode is, is like a three wolves and a door. And then I think the second episode is called A World Between Worlds. I'm like, whoa, they're really going places and, and doing stuff that I actually would have expected more out of Last Jedi that I, you know, I was, I was expecting more like force origins and a lot more mysticism than I ended up getting. We but had the mirror sequence. Maybe they do the mirror sequence for Ezra. Maybe they do. Or maybe they straight up pivot this entire last several episodes into setting up the next storyline for Ezra in a future television show. When he gets frozen in carbonite and wakes up during the resistance era. Uh huh. I was going to say, I do want to discuss like where we think what, what is Ezra's fate. I think Ezra will find himself somehow a key player in the Resistance era in the sequel trilogy. I also I mean, we we, we, we briefly touched on this last or when we discussed Rebels. Yeah, if you've been here, Doug. I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying, like, but based on this new information, based on the latest episodes, because we were still waiting for those episodes to come out. Well, how do we? Feel? Yeah, I think I think it's becoming more and more clear to me that. Ezra has some role to play as I really think that last name Bridger. That's why I think he's going to be Snoke or rather I want him to be Snoke no, because his name it, is Bridger because he bridges all sagas together. He no. with Darth Maul bridges prequels, bridges classic, and he's going to be in the future. Bridger, Ezra Bridger, that Sky Walker, star killer, Ezra Bridger. All right, we're gonna we're gonna take out the Snoke aspect of your <laughs> yes, that's all correct <laughs> except for the part where he's Snoke. <laughs> yeah, I mean Ezra has very unique connections to basically everything. He had a mental link with Darth Maul from Phantom Menace. He works with Saw Gerrera from Rogue One. He knows Hondo Naka. He knows Ahsoka Tano. He knows Lando Rex. Calrissian. Knows Lando, all that shit. Lando, yeah. I mean, if you want to connect to the Solo, there you go. It's Lando. If you want to connect to the, I mean, he was born the same exact day as Luke and Leia Although on I, the I day did, in which I, the Empire took control. I, mean, I did hear he that they retconned that. Everything. Someone on the higher up story group did say that he may not have been born on the exact same day as Luke and Leia, but it was within the week. Is what that is what I then heard them say. What they yeah. said he was he he hates Empire Day because it's his birthday. I've, I've, Empire I've, Day would be the day the Empire was founded. I which... read another source that they backpedaled on that and said that well it was probably within the oh, same two or three days. Go to hell, I, story I, group. I'm gonna find the source on it and I'll try to link it. But that's that I've heard two versions of it, so I don't know which one is true. I'm just happy that when I just googled. Empire Day. It turns out in Bangladesh it's March twelfth, so there is an <laughs> Empire Day. So we should start on March twelfth. We should all celebrate Empire Day. We should also make sure that it's not actually like celebrating some kind of. I don't know what Empire Day is in Bangladesh. It could be bad. a terrible, yeah. terrible day. <laughs> yeah, much like That's actual Empire Day. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I actually at this point speculate that Ezra is going to be full blown time displaced, not by science but by magic. He goes to a higher dimension of the forest or something. I think he's going to fall out the other side. He's going to Kun Loon in uh, Star Wars World. You mean Batu? <laughs> Batu? Yeah, in Star Actually, Wars Galaxy's what, what Edge. What that's where Star Wars Resistance takes place? It could be. Uh, Ezra's going to walk out of the Black Spire. <laughs> oh, boy. Which is the inverse Jedi Temple from Lothal, but it's on Batu. What if the Black Spire is like the Sith version of the Force Tree? <laughs> I don't know, but I do think I do think that we're not entirely wrong. He's going to go for Snoke. So this is another one of those mark our words. Some aspect of this is going to be right. <laughs> I hadn't considered him going in, into the higher Force thing. That actually sounds pretty sound. I'm wondering if Ahsoka will be there too. 
remember those illustrations after Ahsoka's last appearance on Rebels? That Wolf in the door. Yeah, and all that. I wonder if if that is where Ahsoka went, but well, via the Sith Temple. If, if Ezra and Ahsoka emerge in the new trilogy era Star Wars, that will be both dumb and awesome at the same time. Yeah, I don't know where I, it, it really comes off in execution. They stayed out of time manipulation, time and space manipulation in Star Wars, well, other than hyperspace, until like the very ending days of the expanded universe. They started doing flow walking, which is a advanced force power that Jason Solo really got into, that he could like kind of go back to key moments in history through the force and actually like kind of be there. Like he was sort of canonically in the Jedi Temple when Darth Vader was slaughtering all the younglings. Like he was there in spirit or like physically there? He was sort of physically there. As a matter of fact, if you go back and read the Revenge of the Sith novelization, they kind of drop like some text that makes Vader think that he sees a ghost or spirit watching him. And then like you can kind of put that together. That might be Jason Solo. I'm really getting into some deep cuts here. <laughs> no, that's what <laughs> but, it's all about. Yeah, exactly. And so they avoided that for a while. And they also did some unique things like a Sith ship during the, the Sith War that takes place 5,000 years before New Hope crashed on a planet. They had an entire like uninhabited planet. And then, you know, they lived there for thousands of years and had thousands of descendants. And then eventually like a spaceship showed up. And so they were Sith that still believed that the world was dominated by Sith. But that's really the most they did as far as like manipulating time and space. And I'm curious if they will break those rules quickly in the Disney verse. It really just comes out in execution. And by the way, maybe they could use the same technology or magic or whatever, explain how, you know, Han does the castle run in 12 parsecs because he finds a, a door through time, waves hi to Ezra and Ahsoka as he's taking the Falcon through it. <laughs> it's going to be like... <laughs> and shows up on the other side 12 parsecs later. It's going to be like Dorothy when her house is all sucked up inside the cyclone and she sees Mrs. Gulch riding, riding her bicycle. <laughs> Funny thing, Ezra sees the Falcon and goes, oh, that's Lando's ship. <laughs> and I was like, what? Awesome. what? Lando? I know I keep saying it with a lot of certainty, but I think that there's going to be a new Star Wars show this fall season, and I think it's going to get announced as soon as Rebels ends. And I don't see any way that that's not what they do. That is the only thing that makes sense to me from a marketing standpoint. So I feel like I can say safely, expect it. Expect it in a matter of weeks. And if they think it's going to leak, expect them to announce it before it leaks. So you think they're going to do that before Solo? Yes, I do. So you're both mocking me, but I'm telling you, Disney XD is going to upload a YouTube video. It's like, Seth, <laughs> Ezra becomes Snoke, transformation scene. XD. <laughs> Doug, I hate that, and I hate you. No, I don't. Uh, I, I, come on. You would love it. it dude, if, if, it, if it connected it, and it, was, it explained everything, the greatest origin story for a villain of all time is Rebels. Come on. <laughs> Ah, uh, no, no. But hey, thank you for listening to this episode of State of the Empire. We'll see you in a couple weeks. State of the Empire is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida at Nerdy Show Studios, home of the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. Discover more at nerdyshow.com. Special thanks to our Bothan pals in the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group, the Nerdy Show Network Patreon backers, and Jason Solo, Darth Cadis himself, the original Kylo Ren. 
who fell to the dark side for noble intentions after having a vision of a fractured galaxy. Not like Kylo, who wanted... Wait, what does Kylo want exactly? And now a Star Wars joke by Doug. Okay, so Matt, we know nerfs. They're kind of like the cows of Star Wars, right? Oh, yeah. Uh Yeah, so for the purposes of this joke, nerf is like a kind of beef in a way. So what do you call a three-legged nerf? I don't know. What do you call three-legged nerf? Lean beef. (sighs) What? I'm not done yet. What do you call a nerf with no legs? I don't know. Ground beef. God. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. All right. What do you call... For Hut's sake. (laughs) What do you call a nerf with two legs? Uh, I don't know. Caleb's death is just throwing me off. (laughs) Yo mama. What? Yo mama is a nerf with two legs. God damn it. Wow, I am dense. (laughs) Consequence Podcast Network. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 